Halo Top is ice cream's biggest game changer. With Halo Top, you can enjoy all the flavor and deliciousness of ice cream without all the guilt. It has less than 360 calories per pint and comes in flavors like vanilla bean, cinnamon roll, even pancakes and waffles. Halo Top is available nationwide. Find your pint at halotop.com. Follow them on social media at Halotop Creamery. Halotop.com. On July 3rd, 1956, 1,200 people traveled from all around North America for a massive celebration just outside Orlando, Florida. Between the dancing, singing, and inspirational speeches, there were prizes given out with elaborate showmanship. Fireworks in the sky spelled out the name of a woman who had won a family trip to Disneyland. A plane flew overhead to drop 1,000 cards proclaiming that another woman had won a trip to see her son in Tokyo. A brand new car came floating out of the depths of the pond to its new owner. What was the occasion for all this excitement? It was a Tupperware sales rally. It seems so commonplace now, it's hard to imagine a time when plastic kitchenware was an exciting concept. But Tupperware's success didn't happen on its own. We might still be using tinfoil and plastic shower caps to pack our lunches if it wasn't for the woman at the microphone leading that giant sales party in 1956, Brownie Wise. Welcome to Great Women of Business. I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. In this podcast, we don't just tell you about women who changed the face of business. We tell you how they changed the face of business. We'll spotlight business principles that you can use yourself and dive into the complex lives and unique challenges faced by female visionaries, icons, and leaders. New episodes of our 12-episode series will come out on Tuesdays, and you can find us on your favorite podcast directory. While you're there, we'd truly appreciate a five-star review. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and on Twitter, at Parcast Network. Now... Let's look at the story of Brownie Wise, the pioneering sales manager who turned Tupperware into a nationwide phenomenon. When Earl Tupper invented Tupperware plastic containers in 1947, he knew his product was the future of food storage. But it wasn't until he hired Brownie Wise as the company's general sales manager that Tupperware became the household name it is today. Wise's strategy of marketing through an ever-expanding network of friends and neighbors changed the game of direct sales. Her home party sales method is still used by Tupperware, and it's the same technique used by apps and social media sites in today's internet age. The most amazing part? Brownie Wise was a struggling single mother with no sales experience when she began selling door-to-door -door in 1947. But through hard work and innovative strategies, she became the vice president and general sales manager for Tupperware just four years later. She didn't get her sales savvy from business school. In fact, she didn't even finish high school. 
Everything she needed to know, she learned from her family in Buford, Georgia. Brownie Wise came from a long line of self-sufficient women. Her grandmother had raised seven children on her own after her husband died. Shortly after Brownie was born, on May 25, 1913, her mother Rose went back to work as a factory worker and union organizer. Brownie's parents divorced when she was two years old, and with her father out of the picture, she was cared for by her mother, her grandmother, and her aunt. It was the inception of a principle Brownie would later carry into her business practices. Women should work together to support each other instead of relying on men. Being raised by a network of independent women taught her that she was capable of having a career of her own, and it also taught her the importance of community and cooperation. At age 14, Brownie dropped out of school. In the 1920s, a high school degree wasn't nearly as important as it is today, especially for women who were typically discouraged from going to college. But women were earning more social and political freedom as a result of the suffrage movement, which had secured the right to vote in 1920. Brownie saw a wide horizon of opportunities ahead outside of conventional education. Her first endeavor was to join her mother in union organizing. She was just 14 years old, but she was a powerful public speaker. Soon she was giving speeches on her own, rallying masses of workers to stand together and fight for better working conditions. Her experience in the labor union was valuable training for her later career as a sales manager. She mastered the skill of persuasion, and she saw how workers could stick together to accomplish more than any of them could accomplish individually. Already, Brownie had the makings of a great business leader. By age 18, she was considering careers in business and law, but ultimately, she wanted a career where she could exercise her vivid imagination. She decided to focus on becoming a writer and illustrator. When Brownie was 22 years old in 1935, she was chosen to paint a mural for the Texas Centennial Convention in Dallas, Texas. At the convention, she met a young Ford Motor Company executive named Robert Wise. They hit it off, and just six months later, Brownie and Robert got married and moved to Detroit, where the auto industry was booming. A few years later, in 1938, Brownie gave birth to her only child, a son named Jerry. In the family tradition of women working together, Brownie's mother, Rose, moved to Detroit to help her raise the baby. The family's happiness was short-lived, however. In 1941, three years after Jerry was born, Brownie filed for divorce, citing her husband's violent and unpredictable behavior. Now she would have to provide for her family on her own, with just her mother Rose there to help her. Just months after the divorce, on December 7, 1941, the U.S. entered World War II. With men leaving to serve overseas, jobs opened up for women like Brownie Wise, who were trying to forge their way forward without a husband at home. Now 28 years old, with a three-year-old child to support, Wise took a job as a secretary at a plane parts manufacturing company. 
The company was short on draftsmen, so she enrolled in mechanical drawing classes at Detroit City College and became a skilled draftswoman within a few weeks. In whatever spare time she had left, she began writing an advice column in the local newspaper. But between secretary work, drafting, and writing, she still hadn't found a career that satisfied her. She wrote in her journal, quote, I was searching for a basic premise on which to plan my life. I wanted to work and expected to work hard to build a successful life. Not just money, but to be a success in dealing with people. I wanted to be a successful human being." End quote. This is the principle she would focus on as she moved into management, pushing herself and her team to succeed as whole people. She encouraged her salespeople to strive for happiness, success, and self-improvement, both for their own good and because, in turn, their happiness would benefit the company. As she said, quote, build the people and they'll build the business, end quote. Brownie would finally find her calling one morning in spring 1947, when a door-to-door salesman from Stanley Home Products knocked on her door with a mail-order catalog full of brooms, brushes, and cleaning products. The man mangled his sales pitch so badly that after he left, Wise thought to herself, I could do better than that. She had spent years as a union organizer while she was still a teenager. If she could convince strikers to stay on their picket lines, she could easily convince women to buy brooms. A few weeks later, she added part-time saleswoman to her rotation of jobs, which already included secretary, draftswoman, advice columnist, and single mother. The Stanley Home Products business model was based around canvassing neighborhoods door-to-door, selling cleaning products from their mail-order catalog. The salespeople, called dealers, were paid on commission for the products they sold. But there was a growing public perception of salesmen as overbearing, annoying, and unscrupulous. Housewives started to refuse to open their door to salesmen, and some states had even passed laws against soliciting. To combat that problem, Stanley began using a new approach, setting up product demonstrations in customers' homes and inviting the neighborhood women over to watch. The idea was that women would be less reluctant to buy the products if they saw their friends buying them, too. Housewives loved the Stanley parties because it gave them a rare chance to get away from their homes and children and socialize. The only problem was that the majority of Stanley salespeople were men. They had no idea how to navigate through the social networks of women, and they were inevitably the outsiders at their own demonstration parties. But Brownie Wise knew how to capitalize on the relationships between neighborhood women to drive sales. She and other saleswomen already knew many of the local housewives they were trying to sell to. Women might avoid opening the door to a salesman they've never met, but they wouldn't refuse a friend. Wise was utilizing one of the key principles of marketing, relating to your target demographic. Different groups respond well to different sales strategies. It's important to know who you're targeting and how to engage them. For example, some companies, like the restaurant chains Wendy's, Taco Bell, and Denny's, have forgone conventional social media strategies in favor of posting memes, 
personal replies, and funny, often bizarre tweets that are likely to be shared by the younger demographic that uses Twitter most frequently. YouTube has more Twitter followers than any other brand on Twitter, with 72.2 million followers as of May 2018. Denny's only has 483,000 followers, but their most popular tweet from May 2018, which simply said, drink eight glasses of water a day to weaken our water overlords, was liked by 1.35% of their followers. By comparison, YouTube's most popular tweet from May 2018, a fairly conventional announcement about Korean pop band BTS, was only liked by 0.1% of their followers. That's less than one-tenth the engagement Denny's received. Denny's social media has been run by the marketing agency Irwin Penland since 2013. When Irwin Penland took over, they decided to shape the company's social media presence into a unique, quirky voice, similar to what one might overhear from the next booth at a Denny's diner. They tailor their content to specific platforms. Their Facebook posts are the most conventional, appealing to Facebook's older user base, while their Tumblr, which skews younger, is the most outlandish. Erwin Pendlin's director of digital strategy, Kevin Purser, said that, quote, nothing can substitute team members' intuitive knowledge of that audience and what people will and won't respond to, end quote. Their whole strategy depends on employing people who know exactly how to reach their target audience. Likewise, Stanley Home Products relied on hiring women like Brownie Wise, who knew how to sell to the other women in their neighborhoods better than their professionally trained salesmen did. Wise had planned on using Stanley Sales to supplement her regular income. Salespeople set their own hours and were paid on commission, so it was an easy way to bring in side income while still working a full-time job. But after just a few months, Wise was making so much in commissions that she quit her secretary job to focus on selling Stanley products full-time. By the next year, in 1948, her sales figures were so impressive that she was promoted to area manager of the local unit. All the Stanley dealers in the Detroit area would be reporting to her, and she was responsible for making sure their sales numbers were on track. As a manager, Wise motivated her sales force the way she had once motivated union workers, by bringing them together as a team in pursuit of a common goal. She held weekly sales meetings in her own home every Monday morning to build a sense of community between the otherwise solitary salespeople. She also started a newsletter called The Go-Getter, where she recognized the highest earners and welcomed new recruits by name, as well as giving them tips on how to increase sales. She wrote in one newsletter, quote, You're out for more parties, bigger weeks, fatter profits, or you're part of the problem, end quote. The salespeople were being paid on commission, but Wise realized that an even bigger motivator than money was a sense of community obligation. A growing number of the workers in Wise's sales force were women who were used to playing second fiddle to their husbands. But this was a chance for them to earn recognition on their own. The positive reinforcement of the weekly meetings and newsletters motivated them to do their best work. 
they needed encouragement from wise because, in most cases, they weren't getting it from their families. Many men resented women in the workforce and pressured their wives to quit. The problem became even worse if saleswomen began bringing home more money than their husbands, which often happened in Wise's thriving sales unit. What had started as a way to make money for her family had become the career opportunity Wise had been searching for all along. She was helping others reach their full potential. For the women on Wise's team, this was more than a job. It was an opportunity to dream, to build something for themselves, and to succeed on their own terms. With that spark of passion, Wise's territory became one of the strongest Stanley sales forces in the nation. In the fall of 1948, Wise traveled to the annual Stanley sales meeting in Westfield, Massachusetts. She was in the perfect position to angle for a promotion. She hoped to meet with the company's executive team and put herself forward for a general management position. But when she met the company's founder, Frank Stanley Beveridge, he told her, quote, "Don't waste your time. Management is no place for a woman." End quote. Wise had learned from her mother to never let her gender stop her from pursuing her career goals. When she came home from the meeting, she was furious, but undeterred. She vowed to her son Jerry, "I'll show him." This was another principle Wise used to navigate through the business world: never take no for an answer. She believed anything was possible with enough hard work. As a woman in a male-dominated sales world, she constantly had to prove herself. If she was going to survive, she couldn't listen to naysayers who told her to lower her ambitions. A few decades later, another highly successful woman had a similar learning experience. In 1976, Oprah Winfrey was suddenly removed from her job as co-anchor of the nightly news at Baltimore's WJZ-TV. Ratings had dropped since she, a young black woman, had joined the news desk. So she was moved to a much smaller role reading headlines for the morning news. It was a massive, embarrassing failure for the ambitious young anchor. But she was undeterred. 10 years later, Oprah would host her own nationally broadcast talk show, The Oprah Winfrey Show, which became the highest-rated daytime talk show in American history. Like Oprah after her first demotion, Brownie Wise knew she was capable of success. She just needed a way to prove it. But how? The answer would lie in a pastel-colored plastic bowl one of her salesmen brought to a sales meeting one Monday morning. Tupperware. Now it's time to share a podcast favorite. Knowledge is key on one's journey to success. That's why we love the Great Courses Plus. With the Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to stream lectures from award-winning experts on a variety of topics. Their course, The Creative Thinker's Toolkit, is a fantastic place for our great women of business audience to start. The course offers tools to help you on your own path to success by teaching you how to think outside the box, bring ideas to life. And even discover opportunities that others may have missed. 
The Creative Thinkers Toolkit is a great course to get started with, and now listeners can get a special limited-time offer. Get a full month of unlimited access to The Great Courses Plus for free at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash women. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash women to get this free month offer. thegreatcoursesplus.com slash women. And here's something else you should know about. Are you frustrated by posting on traditional job sites and never getting the job candidates you want? It's time to try something new. Try LinkedIn. 70% of the country's workforce is already on the world's largest professional network. Why not use LinkedIn to find great talent? By matching skills, experience, location, and other factors, LinkedIn is able to promote your job post to the most qualified candidates. That saves everybody time. Businesses that post jobs on LinkedIn rate them 40% higher at delivering quality candidates than other job boards. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're missing out. Go to linkedin.com slash women and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash women for $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's get back to the story. In the 1940s, around one-third of women in the U.S. were in the workforce. Wives were still expected to do the cooking and cleaning, even if they were working as many hours as their husbands. They usually turned to tinfoil and shower caps to save their leftovers, and these methods weren't very effective at keeping things fresh. But if there were a way to store food for multiple days, women could drastically reduce the amount of time spent on food preparation. The only question was how. Traditional glass bowls didn't seal securely, and most plastic materials at the time were too brittle and breakable to use as kitchenware. That is, until one eccentric amateur inventor named Earl Tupper found a way to mold a durable, flexible plastic material called polyethylene into food storage containers. He designed a line of bowls with special lids that vacuum-sealed on so that they would be spill-proof and also keep food fresh inside. He called the new product... Tupperware. When Tupperware first hit the market in 1947, it was heralded as a work of genius. Time magazine called Tupper a one-man boom. The beautifully designed pastel bowls were even included in a houseware exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art. But no one was actually buying the product. Tupperware was in the same position as electric car companies like Tesla today. Everyone agrees electric cars are the future of the automobile industry, but most consumers seem content to live in the past. As of March 2018, Tesla only holds 0.2% of the U.S. auto market. Likewise, Tupperware was the product of the future, but they needed someone to usher society into that future. They needed a forward-thinking salesperson, like Brownie Wise. When one of Wise's teenage sales workers brought a Tupperware bowl to her house in 1948, she was intrigued. She struggled to seal the lid, and once she did, she dropped the bowl to the floor. But, unlike other plastic bowls, 
this one didn't break when it hit the ground. It just bounced and rolled away, with the lid stain perfectly sealed. She'd never seen shatterproof, spill-proof plastic containers like this. A number of door-to-door salespeople were already adding Tupperware to their catalog of products, but unlike the others, Wise realized how revolutionary Tupperware could be. As a working single mother herself, she knew what a difference it made to not have to cook dinner every single night. Reliable, food-saving containers were exactly what women needed. In 1949, Wise decided to focus her entire strategy on selling Tupperware bowls, pushing the other products in the Stanley catalog into the background. She knew the best way to market the product was by showing people, through active demonstrations, why Tupperware was different from other plastic containers. She told her salespeople to demonstrate the proper way to close the lids, and she even had them throw the bowls across customers' living rooms to prove they'd stay secure. Just as importantly, she and her dealers took advantage of pre-existing community connections to convince the women who attended one party to host another party in their own home. A network that started with one or two party hostesses would keep expanding until everyone in the community was buying Tupperware. This is the same marketing strategy that's used by social networking websites today. A notable example is Facebook. When the site was launched in 2004, it was available only to students at Harvard University. The first users invited their friends, and within a month, over half the undergraduate student body had joined. As the site's popularity spread, they expanded their network to other universities where the same thing happened. Friends told their friends, and so on, until nearly everyone on campus was registered. By the end of 2005, there were six million people on Facebook, and today, the number is over two billion. The original goals for the company are to make it so that the whole world can be more open and connected. We want to build this social platform so that all of these products that you use and um, all these different industries can be rethought in, in different ways. Before the internet, word-of-mouth sales strategies couldn't spread quite that quickly, but it was effective enough that Wise was outselling every other distributor in the country. Wise's sales unit in Michigan quickly became one of the biggest sellers of Tupperware in the nation. Their local mail orders were selling more than any department store. In early 1950, about a year after Wise had started selling Tupperware products, a Tupper Corporation representative flew to Detroit to figure out how Wise was selling so much product. She was offered a position as the head of Tupperware distribution for the entire state of Florida. In May 1950, Wise said goodbye to her home and her sales team in Michigan and moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She opened a distribution business called Patio Parties. Distributors were the middlemen between Tupperware headquarters and the area managers. They placed orders collected by local sales units and then received and distributed product shipments from the factory. Distributors received a cut of the profits from the sales they fulfilled. As the head distributor, Wise would be in charge of using the same home party strategy she'd used as an area manager in Michigan, but abandoning the Stanley product line to focus entirely on Tupperware products. 
she wrote a training manual for new recruits that would later become standard issue for Tupperware dealers across the country. She expounded the principles the party plan was built on. Quote, The buying spirit is contagious. It is a proven fact that you will sell more to 15 women as a group than you will sell to them individually. End quote. This became the principle that rocketed Tupperware to success. The subtle influence of friends and family is the most powerful way to decrease buyer resistance. People are more likely to buy something if they see people they know and trust buying it too. Wise also instituted an incentive program for the hostesses who set up parties in their homes. Hostesses received a free gift and 5% of the total sales from the party. Not only did this encourage women to host parties, but it encouraged their friends to buy products since they knew a portion of the sales would go back to the hostess. Have you ever downloaded an app that offered you discounts or rewards for recruiting friends to sign up? That's the same strategy Wise used to popularize the Tupperware party. As one example, the food delivery app Postmates offers $100 in delivery fee credit if a new user signs up using your referral code, much like Tupperware's promise of free gifts and commission for hosting a party. Unfortunately, in late 1950, a few months after patio parties opened, problems began to arise. There was a miscommunication that resulted in two different area distributors believing they were in charge of the same territory in Tampa. Neither of them wanted to give up control to the other. As head of Florida Distribution, Wise proposed splitting the territory in two, with each distributor taking over half. She said, quote, This thing must be good for all of us, or it will eventually be good for none of us. End quote. Once again, Wise touted cooperation and teamwork as the solution to business problems. The feud was eventually settled, but when a similar territory fight happened in California later that year, Tupperware's management team realized they needed to create a centralized distribution strategy. Tupperware asked their major distributors to liquidate their companies and work officially as area managers for Tupper Corporation. Previously, distributors like Wise owned and operated their own businesses under agreements to distribute Tupperware products. Now, Tupperware planned to open their own official distribution centers to streamline the process. Wise was hesitant at first, but the general sales manager, Norman Squires, wrote her a letter promising that she would be figured very prominently into the corporation's plans for the future. Squires didn't realize exactly how prominently that was going to be. Wise and the other distributors liquidated their businesses to work for the newly formed hostess division of Tupperware. But within months, the division was collapsing. Squires was failing to handle problems with shipping delays, and Earl Tupper suspected him of embezzling money. Squires was fired, and a quick glance at the nationwide sales numbers was all he needed to find a replacement. Within the first two months after Wise opened her patio party's business, she had sold over $14,000 worth of Tupperware throughout Florida. That's about $145,000 today. Tupper asked Brownie Wise to come up to the company headquarters in Massachusetts to meet with him. Wise replied that she was too busy. 
and if he wanted to meet, he'd have to come down to Florida. She knew how valuable she was to the company, and Tupper knew it too. He compromised with her and met her at a sales conference they were both attending in early 1951. When they met, he offered her the position of general sales manager for the new Tupperware Home Parties division, the successor to Squire's hostess division. Finally, Wise had proven her previous boss, Frank Stanley Beveridge, wrong. Being a woman wouldn't prevent her from reaching a management position. She accepted, on the condition that he build the headquarters of the new division in Florida, so she wouldn't have to move to the company headquarters in Massachusetts. Tupper agreed. It was the beginning of a strange but beautiful friendship. The shy, serious Tupper, who preferred to work alone in his laboratory, and the bubbly, outgoing Wise, with her intuitive people skills. Tupper soon told Wise this was, quote, the first time he'd ever had anyone so good on his team, end quote. As soon as Wise was put in charge of the nationwide sales force, she got to work bringing the rest of the company up to her Florida territory's breakneck speed. She started a newsletter called Tupperware Sparks, similar to the one she'd run in Michigan. By recognizing high-earning sellers and new recruits by name in a company-wide newsletter, she united individual sales teams from all around the nation into one close-knit community. This is another principle Wise was known for, fostering company loyalty. Employees are less likely to leave for a competitor if they feel like they're part of a community, not just a business. Plus, the genuine passion and excitement they feel for the company will infect customers as well, leading to higher sales. Wise also sent out instructions to area managers on what to look for when recruiting new dealers. She wasn't interested in business experience or education. The most important trait she told her managers to look for was dedication. Potential dealers must be able and willing to devote themselves to full-time work, including evening parties. The guidelines also specified that area managers must get permission from a married woman's husband before hiring her. Wise had already accepted that men tended to disapprove of their wives joining the workforce. By making sure to secure their husband's approval beforehand, Tupperware was able to minimize the number of female dealers they lost when their husbands pressured them into quitting. In September 1951, just five months after she was offered the position as general sales manager, Wise was elected by the board of directors as the vice president of Tupper Corporation. Tupper himself hated to be in the public eye, but Wise was eager to step up and be the public face of the company. Soon, the Tupperware team was centering their entire marketing campaign around her image. The sales team considered their idea of the three P's of marketing, product, plan, and personality. Some of the most successful brands have a memorable spokesperson who's linked to their product in the public imagination, like KFC's Colonel Sanders or Apple's visionary founder, Steve Jobs. Brownie Wise was the personality that could breathe life into a boring line of plastic bowls. She was a living representation of the future Tupperware could usher in for women. Untethered from the kitchen and housework, 
Any woman could have a successful and fulfilling career just like her. The strategy certainly worked. In the first half of 1952, Tupperware sold two million one hundred seventy thousand dollars worth of products, about twenty million four hundred thirty-five thousand dollars today. In the second half of the year, their sales figure tripled. Tupper Corporation rewarded Wise with a house near the new headquarters in Orlando, a huge mansion right on the edge of Lake Tehopakaliga. Wise had made her own dreams of success come true, and she stayed committed to helping others achieve their dreams too. She began a tradition of giving out elaborate prizes to the company's high achievers by awarding brand new Cadillacs to each of the seven highest-selling distributors across the country. A contest she would repeat annually for the next few years. Wise recognized a key principle of management here: friendly competition can be a great way to motivate employees. Years later, in 1969, another direct sales company, Mary Kay, would copy that strategy by awarding their top sellers with signature pink Cadillacs. They still use pink Cadillacs as an incentive today. One distributor described the Tupperware morale by saying, "Quote." It was everybody for everybody. I'm not going to step on you to get ahead. I'm going to take your hand and help you along. End quote. As general manager, Wise was democratic in her leadership style. But if she felt strongly about an issue, she didn't hesitate to make her opinion known. This led her into occasional conflicts with other executive team members, including the company's president, Earl Tupper. The first major disagreement she had with Tupper was over whether or not Tupperware should be available in stores. Even though department store sales were only a tiny fraction of their total sales numbers, Tupper worried that not having the products available at all outside of the party plan would negatively impact their profits. But Wise thought keeping the products in stores undermined their entire home party plan. If there were another way to buy Tupperware, people wouldn't be as eager to come to parties, and the entire strategy would fall apart. In addition to that, it could harm their dealers' commission figures. Wise had her eye on what was unique and effective about the Tupperware home party strategy, even if it contradicted conventional sales wisdom. Tupperware executive Gary McDonald summarized the company's approach by saying, "Quote." Business people look at business in terms of market share, new products, advertising, and creating demand. Our business doesn't work that way. It's not a product business; it's a people business. And if you're not doing the right things in terms of motivating people, creating loyalty, or explaining how it is going to impact the sales organization first, the business simply isn't going to work. End quote. The same principle applies to services like Uber and Lyft. Drivers, like Tupperware salespeople, set their own hours and work on commission, so it's in the company's favor to motivate them to work harder. Also, if the employees aren't kept happy, they could easily leave and go work for a competitor. In addition to her sales strategy, one of Wise's key business principles was that quote. A company should exist for more than just to supply useful products. End quote. It should do whatever it can to help people and give back to the community. 
One of her community improvement projects was commissioning a 42-foot mural for the inside of the new headquarters in Florida. It was a way to give another artist the same chance she received when she painted a mural for the Texas Centennial Convention almost 20 years earlier. She also set up the Tupperware Art Fund, awarding fellowships to promising artists in the local community. By the end of 1953, Tupperware's sales had doubled from the previous year. In 1951, Tupperware Home Parties was operating on a $32,000 deficit. But by early 1954, the company was bringing in $25 million in annual profits, nearly $232 million in today's money. To celebrate the booming success, the management team planned a massive company-wide party for April 1954, called the Tupperware Homecoming Jubilee. The Jubilee would become an annual event, with dealers and distributors coming to the Florida headquarters from all around the country for several days of sales rallies, parties, and games with prizes. As the face of Tupperware, Wise presided over the ceremonies. In September 1954, Wise became the first woman to ever appear on the cover of Business Week. Their story on Tupperware focused on her, calling her a prophet in plastic. Tupperware was going up and up, but what goes up must eventually come down. In 1955, Wise's fortunes were about to change for the worse. Here's something we want you to check out. If you're looking for an easy way to save money, try lowering your interest rate on your credit card debt with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You could get a credit card consolidation loan from 5.89% APR with AutoPay. You can get loans from $5,000 to $100,000. Choose your funding date as soon as today. Head to the Lightstream website and check out their helpful rate table and calculator, so you can walk through the process first before applying. Our listeners get an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com/greatwomen. That's l-i-g-h-t-s-t-r-e-a-m.com/greatwomen. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. Now let's get back to the story. In 1955, a group of Tupperware distributors grew tired of the power the corporate management team had over their operations. Like Brownie Wise, many of the largest distributors had agreed to give up control of their own distribution businesses to work officially for the Tupper Corporation. When the Tupperware Home Parties division was formed, they had to adopt training and sales regulations put in place by the corporate headquarters. They'd been pushed from the top of the food chain, and unlike the door-to-door dealers and party hostesses. The distributors didn't even have a company-wide incentive plan to reward them for good work. Two distributors quit and sent out a letter to the other distributors and dealers, making derogatory statements about Tupperware and their company policies, urging the others to follow them into a new business venture. 
another group of major distributors planned a meeting to discuss forming a union. When the Tupperware management team heard about this, they realized something had to be done before the entire company was in rebellion. They found out where the meeting was being held and managed to place a microphone in the room to find out who was leading the effort. It turned out the head of the meeting was Tupperware's California distributor, Peter Block. A group of Tupperware executives flew to California to confront Block, and he told them he could run the sales department better than Brownie Wise could. When Wise found out, she was furious. Block's outburst appeared to be based in jealousy and personal resentment, not a genuine concern for the good of the company. She removed Block from his distributorship, and several distributors followed him out. Both sides of this conflict failed to demonstrate the principles Wise had founded Tupperware home parties on, cooperation, trust, and teamwork. And in the end, it hurt all of them. Wise tried to rebuild trust with the remaining distributors by offering them an incentive program similar to the dealers and by prepaying shipping costs from the factory to their warehouses. But it was too little, too late. By the end of 1955, annual sales numbers had fallen 8%. It was the first time annual sales had fallen since Wise became the general sales manager in 1951. In addition to the loss of distributors, the number of door-to-door dealers was also stagnating after several years of huge growth. The sales team feared that the company's rapid rate of expansion couldn't be sustained any longer, and the best they could hope for was slow, incremental growth moving forward. But Tupper thought there was another underlying problem. Wise's popularity was starting to eclipse the popularity of Tupperware itself. In his view, she was becoming more focused on her own image than on the well-being of the company. Wise had been spending her spare time on her own side projects, like the Tupperware Art Fund, and a book called Best Wishes, compiled from her speeches at past sales rallies. The private, solitary Tupper could hardly see the value of publicity-seeking projects like these. He worried that the time Wise was spending on her own pursuits was taking her away from her work at the company. Although it was rare at the time for business leaders to write books or fund community-based projects, such projects are commonplace today. Companies ranging from Rolls-Royce to BP Oil have sponsored art initiatives, and it's proven to be a good way of advertising a brand name while also giving back to the community. Wise denied that she had ever put herself before the company. She was spending her own free time on writing and marketing her book while still keeping to full workdays at headquarters. She took responsibility for the problem with the distributors and did everything in her power to amend the situation. By the end of 1956, sales were on the rise again, increasing by 16.3% over the course of the year. But that wasn't good enough for Tupper. Wise remarked she was starting to find his attitude edgy and irascible. While Wise and Tupper's friendly relationship slowly deteriorated, Wise focused on holding the company's dealers and distributors together. The annual homecoming jubilee in July 1957 would be crucial for public relations. The flocks of loyal saleswomen couldn't know there was any trouble happening behind the scenes at Tupperware. 
On the last night of the celebration, 1,200 guests attended a luau party on an island in the middle of Lake Tehopakaliga, near Wise's house. There were no commercial boating companies near the rural area, so Tupperware asked local boat owners to ferry guests to and from the island in exchange for free admission to the party. The Tupperware team told the boat drivers not to drink at the party, but many of them didn't listen. They were volunteers, not professionals under contract, so Tupperware legally had no control over their behavior. As night fell, storm clouds rolled over the island. The winds picked up. A thunderstorm was approaching. There was barely any indoor shelter on the island, and being out in the open during an island storm was dangerous. They would have to get everyone off the island before the storm started. Several of the boat drivers were drunk. It was dark and difficult to see, and on top of that, the rain was starting to pour. The boats rushed between the island and the mainland, carrying passengers as quickly as they could. But in their haste, some of them were driving recklessly. Then two boats crashed into each other. The driver of one boat, Gary Croxton, flew into the water. The other's boat driver, William Boyd, jumped in to save him, but he was injured in the process. Soon after, another crash happened behind them. By the end of the night, 21 people were taken to the hospital for injuries sustained while trying to get off the island. It was a horrific night for the guests, and it was just the beginning of the disaster for Tupperware. Fairly or not, Tupper blamed Wise for the entire situation. It was her idea to hold the party on the island, and she accepted responsibility for failing to end the event sooner, before the storm could begin. The company's public relations department convinced the editors of local newspapers not to sensationalize the story, and perhaps because of Tupperware's long investment in community improvement projects, they agreed. The boating accidents faded quietly into the past without much public attention. But the damage to Wise and Tupper's relationship couldn't be undone. A few months later, in November 1957, Gary Croxton and William Boyd, the boat drivers who had been injured when their boats crashed, both sued Tupperware for their injuries. Together, they were asking for $301,000, about $2.7 million in today's money. From Tupper's point of view, it was Wise's errors that had brought the company under this legal firestorm. Since Tupper worked at the main company headquarters in Massachusetts and Wise worked at the Home Parties Division headquarters in Florida, the two rarely had to see each other, but their letters and phone calls became terse. The arguments got worse when the 1957 sales figures fell slightly short of Wise's predictions. She had aimed for a 25% increase over the previous year's sales, and despite her best efforts, they ended the year a few percentage points under that goal. Around Christmas of 1957, Tupper sent Wise a card with friendly holiday greetings, apparently trying to mend their relationship. But near the end of his letter, he mentioned that their work depended on cooperation and respect, and that she couldn't do her job without respecting him as president of the company. Wise's entire managerial strategy was built on cooperation and respect. 
and she balked at the implication that she had forgotten her own principles, she sent him back a furious letter, reminding him that she'd devoted her entire life to Tupperware, and if anyone was being disrespectful, it was him. Needless to say, her letter didn't go over well. Tupper thought her response was totally out of proportion to what he had said. And after all, he was the president of the company, not Wise. She had no right to tell him he was being disrespectful. Some executive team members thought Tupper's problem with Wise was rooted in jealousy. She'd blossomed into a national celebrity, and she was publicly given all the credit for the company's success, even though he was the founder and president. Even if he didn't want to be the center of attention, it must have hurt to have his own contributions ignored. The final straw came a few weeks later, in late January 1958, when Tupper heard a rumor that Wise and some of her team members were planning either a takeover of the company or a mass resignation. They all denied that they had any plans to do that, but it was too late to convince Tupper. Rumors, suspicions, and power struggles also tore apart the founders of Twitter in 2006. As the site prepared to launch, tensions were growing between Twitter's co-creator Noah Glass and an investor, Evan Williams. Glass became convinced that Williams was trying to force him out of the company. He confided his fears in the project's co-creator, Jack Dorsey. What Glass didn't know was that Dorsey was actually the one who wanted him gone. Dorsey had been pressuring Williams to let Glass go, and he even threatened to quit if Glass wasn't fired. Soon enough, with Dorsey and Williams united against him, Glass was ousted from the company and quietly written out of Twitter's history. That was the same plan in Earl Tupper's mind when he went down to Florida to meet with the Home Parties Division executive team in January 1958. To their shock, Tupper told them, quote, I've had enough of Brownie Wise. She's fired, and I want all evidence of her gone, end quote. On January 29, 1958, Earl Tupper and the Tupperware Home Party's executive team came to Wise's office with shocking news. The 45-year-old Brownie Wise was being forced into an early retirement. It was a strange twist of fate that Wise's trust of the Tupperware family was what ultimately led to her downfall. She and Tupper were such good friends early in their business relationship that she hadn't felt the need to get some of his promises in writing. She had no official contract, so she could be removed at any time without severance pay. But instead of firing her outright and risking outrage from the dealers who admired her, the executives offered her a two-year contract where she would take an inactive part in the company, performing no day-to-day duties except attending conferences and events, and continue to make her regular salary of $30,000 a year, around $300,000 today. Wise understood what that really meant. She was being forced out of the company she devoted the past seven years to building. But even now, she cared about Tupperware more than her own pride, She was prepared to be the bigger person and accept Tupper's offer for the good of the company. 
But when she received the written contract from the executive team, the terms it laid out were impossible to accept. The contract stipulated that for the next two years, Wise would be unable to take any other sales job in any industry. This would prevent her from starting any new business ventures to prepare herself for when the two-year contract ended. In addition to that, she was required to vacate her house, which Tupper Corporation still technically held the deed to, within 60 days. Wise refused to sign the contract. Her lawyer attempted to negotiate a fairer arrangement, but on March 7, 1958, after a month of negotiations, Tupper had enough. Her employment was terminated with no further contract, and she had to move out of her house immediately. Wise's entire business strategy was built on teamwork and cooperation. But if the rest of the executive team wouldn't play by those rules, neither would she. She sued Earl Tupper, Tupper Corporation, and several Tupperware executives personally for a total of $1.6 million, nearly $14 million in today's money. To temper the bad press, Tupper told newspapers that he was, quote, shocked and bewildered by Wise's lawsuits because the company had only ever treated her with kindness and consideration. For the next several decades, Brownie Wise's name would never appear in Tupperware catalogs, press releases, or company histories. Wise's lawsuits eventually fell through because she didn't have enough written documentation to back up her claims. She wrote to her lawyers, quote, The most serious mistake I have made during my seven years' association with Tupper and Tupperware is that of being naive. Otherwise, I would have had on hand documents to support what I claim, end quote. Wise had learned perhaps the most important rule of business. No matter how much you trust your colleagues, always get things in writing. Decades later, the same thing would happen to Tobias Frere Jones, a typeface designer who was a partner of the type foundry Heffler & Company, formerly known as Heffler & Frere Jones. The company had designed fonts for clients ranging from Rolling Stone magazine to the United Nations. In 2014, Frere Jones filed a lawsuit claiming that he and Heffler had reached a verbal agreement in 1999 entitling him to own half the company. Heffler and Frere Jones ran the company as an equal partnership, but Frere Jones didn't receive an equal share of the profits. But Heffler denied that any such agreement took place. The lawsuit was settled in September 2014, but the terms of the settlement remained confidential. Frere Jones permanently left the company, which was renamed from Heffler and Frere Jones to Heffler and Company. In the months after she was ousted from the company, Wise set up a new home-selling venture with a company called Cinderella International Corporation. She put out a newspaper ad inviting Tupperware dealers to come visit her and see what her new company was about. But not one person left Tupperware to work for Cinderella. Wise had built a community so loyal to the Tupperware brand that they wouldn't leave it for anything, not even for her. In September 1958, Earl Tupper sold Tupperware to a corporation called Rexall Drug Company. 
The company was still doing well, but he'd grown tired of overseeing it, especially without a brilliant sales manager to carry half the weight. Eight years later, he retired to the Bahamas. He eventually relinquished his American citizenship, having no plans to ever return. After the Cinderella Corporation failed to take off, Brownie spent the rest of her life living quietly in the Florida countryside. She dabbled in a few new business ventures, none of which were notably successful. In 1992, she died of cancer at the age of 79, mostly forgotten, with no great fortune to leave behind. As for Tupperware, the company held strong without Tupper and Wise. In 2017, the company's total sales were worth $2.26 billion. The 2.9 million members of the Tupperware sales force, which is over 99% women, is still holding home parties around the world, from China to Brazil to Indonesia. Tupperware still uses the home party sales strategy, but they've expanded into online and retail sales as well. Here's current Tupperware CEO Rick Goings talking about the company's sales strategy in 2002. The party is still the core of the business, but now we're available in malls, uh, on the internet, home shopping network, and at every single Target store. Tupper Corporation tried to remove Brownie Wise from their history, but her impact on their sales strategy and on the business world at large could never be erased. The Tupperware home party strategy was a revolution in direct selling. Instead of focusing on hard selling the product, Wise urged her salespeople to build positive, genuine social relationships with customers before persuading them to buy anything. The home party plan exploited two truths about human behavior. First, that people feel an obligation to buy products from their friends and family. Second, that people are more likely to buy something when they see their friends doing it. Wise wasn't the first person to use home party demonstrations as a sales strategy, but she was decades ahead of her time in how she utilized the pre-existing social relations between friends and neighbors to spread Tupperware to a growing network of customers. That technique became a cornerstone of marketing with the advent of the Internet. Nearly every major company today uses social media to connect with their customers. It's common to ask customers to share or repost content to their own network of friends and acquaintances. Sometimes social media users with large followings are even paid to post branded content, a modern-day application of the home party strategy where hostesses were paid to invite their friends to Tupperware parties. As technology advanced over the past six decades, so has the concept of home shopping. The 80s and 90s brought a new way for people to shop within the comfort of their own homes, TV shopping networks. The vice president of Home Shopping Network says the channel's programming demonstrates the use of products much like Tupperware's home parties do. During the presentation of our products. We explain in important ways the differences between products and provide a service uh, to consumers. And since the rise of the internet, online shopping has been growing every year. Are you doing your holiday shopping online or in a physical store? 
We're spending most of our holiday money in the stores, but a company that tracks holiday sales says online spending is growing at more than twice the rate of growth in store sales. Just as important as her contributions to the sales world, Wise was part of a revolution for women in the workforce. Tupperware's sales force was overwhelmingly run by women, and it gave them an opportunity to forge their own careers outside of the home and outside of traditional industries where women were kept on the bottom of the food chain. By rising from amateur saleswoman to vice president of a national corporation, she proved to her fellow women that their gender didn't have to stop them from achieving their dreams. With enough ingenuity and hard work, anything is possible. Thanks for listening to Great Women of Business. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Great Women of Business, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. In the meantime, go break some glass ceilings. Great Women of Business is produced by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. Sound design by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Great Women of Business is written by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Vanessa Richardson. Halo Top is ice cream's biggest game changer. Halo Top is packed with 20 grams of protein per pint. Finally, you can stop avoiding ice cream and enjoy Halo Top. Halo Top is available nationwide. Find your pint at halotop.com. Follow them on social media at halotopcreamery, halotop.com.